As we are traveling through uh, the book of 1 Kings, we find ourselves in chapter 3. And the thing I love about the Old Testament stories and pictures is we can always find New Testament theology in them. And this passage before us tonight is no exception to that. There's lots of pictures. We left off in our study of 1 Kings last week with Solomon cleaning up a few problems left behind by his father. And, and then the words, thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So, what, so if you're Solomon, what would you now go out and do? Well, verse 1 of chapter 3 tells us what he now does. This is his first official duty, it seems. Now Solomon, and this is wrong in multiple ways, made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is not his first ungodly marriage, by the way. He's already married Naamah the Ammonites, and we know neither one of these women worshipped the God of Israel. So all of a sudden, he, he, he doesn't, he's going to start well, but we all know he doesn't finish well. And, and I want us to see where he finishes and here's why. Because he starts to compromise early. Fast forward to chapter 11 here in this book. And you get to see the end of the movie of Solomon's life. Right here in 1 Kings 11, 1. We get to see the fruit of ungodly unions. Look, look what it says here. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's an understatement. As well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidons, Sidonians, then Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not marry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung to those in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Just like God said, I had from serving the one true God. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. But he started collecting when he was younger. Maybe we started messing around in sin when we're younger, thinking somehow we can manage it. But when we get older, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David, for Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So how did Solomon get there? Where the Lord writes of him, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not fully follow the Lord. How did he get there? I suggest to you one ungodly wife at a time. One speck of sin at a time. That's the Old Testament picture. The New Testament equivalent is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And if you're single, you should know this. And if you're going to invest in the people who are single, this has to be your very first question. So this is Solomon's life. The theology is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, where it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this Old Testament picture is why. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? 
And the answer is nothing. And what accord is Christ with Belial? Or what part as a believer with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are, for you are the temple of the living God, as God had said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Solomon doesn't do that. He starts joining himself. Do, no, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Or if you want the simple version, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts your good character or your, or your good habits or your good morals. We also know that this look of Solomon collecting foreign wives is wrong as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, the words of God where he says, Neither shall the kings multiply wives for themselves, lest their heart turn away. So this is wife number two of 700 coming and 300 concubines. And these are not just wives. These are wives with pagan gods attached to them. So how does Solomon get carried away later on in his life? The same way a believer gets carried away today. Just one little compromise after the other. And that's all the enemies after. That's all the enemies after in Solomon's life. Just one little compromise so God will destroy him. So God, that's all the enemies after in our lives. So we look back here at 1 Kings 3. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. So the very first thing that Solomon does after the kingdom is established in his hand, and we all know who establishes those kingdoms, is he makes a treaty with the ones they used to be in bondage to. He makes this treaty with the nation of Egypt to get the fine-looking daughter of Pharaoh. However, this is not an uncommon practice. The idea was marry daughters from, but it should be faraway nations and make them wives so that way those nations will never come and attack their grandkids. But Solomon doesn't go far away. No, he goes local. Needless to say, Solomon perfected this, but this is not exactly a legacy you want to be left behind because you know what? All of us are going to leave behind some legacy. What are they going to write of you? What are they going to say of you? The time is roughly 444 BC, roughly 500 plus years after Solomon has been king around 970 BC. And now in 444 BC, Nehemiah has risen up. He's built the wall. He's set the gates. He's restored city to order to the Jerusalem city. But over time, this very same thing that Solomon lived out crept into the newly rebuilt Jerusalem in 444 BC. So when Nehemiah addresses the people of Jerusalem in Nehemiah 13:26 with these words, as we think about our own legacy, we're going to leave behind. Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these things? Yeah, he did in 970, 980 BC. Now here they are, 444 BC, and Nehemiah is saying, didn't, didn't someone already do this? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. Well, you know, I just don't feel God loves me. That's the way I sin, the way I do. Oh, that's not true. Because look at Solomon. He, he was loved by God, and he chose to. 
Yet among many nations, there is no king like him who is beloved of his God and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Solomon's legacy followed him all the way up to 444 BC. Now, when Jesus talks of him, he always leaves out the bad parts. Down through Jewish history, Solomon is known as the man who received wisdom from God and the thousand ungodly women that turned his heart away from the Lord God. Those two things. But I love this picture of mercy and grace and multiple second chances in this chapter. Because even though this is how he's acting, second foreign woman with their gods, God's still in tune with them. Solomon, right from the very beginning of his reign, seems to forsake God and goes out and marries another foreign woman and in doing so breaks the law of God. Yet God is still going to come alongside this young man for David's sake and see if Solomon's interested in any outside help. He's going to come alongside and see if Solomon is interesting in changing his actions and reading God's word. Because when the new king would come online, they were supposed to read the word of God. And see, I like that about the God we serve, the God of multiple chances. It's not one strike and you're out. And so this is what he's done. Verse 2, meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. God's law kind of allowed this. As long as everything that went down on the mountaintops glorified the Lord God of Israel. However, once the temple was built, that altar became the central place for all of Israel to worship. And over time, we'll see that the high places become places of pagan worship in the history of the nation of Israel. So as you read through your Old Testament and you see him offering sacrifices on high places, it's always to pagan gods. And that's what brings about the judgment of God against Israel. But for now, it's okay. Verse three is where Solomon started. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his friend David. Of course, he also loved foreign women. We see that. But he loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. I like this. Except, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. See that word except? There's more going on here than what you and I might know about. He loved the Lord except... I went looking. I, I don't find David burning incense at the high places. But see what happens when you start to compromise team? Marry a couple foreign women, burning some incense at the high mountains. So you have an illegal marriage, a little sacrifice and less than a perfect place, a burning of some incense over there. And see, that's the problem with the little sin. And Paul talks about that, how a little leaven gets in and leavens the whole lump. And that's, even though he loves the Lord, and I love the Lord so much, I can kind of do just this little thing here. No, I can't. Even though Solomon loved the Lord, in his heart it was okay to worship at the high places or the wrong places. And here's what I want you to think about, parents. Your kids are following you. 
no doubt as Solomon went up there, people are following it up, up there. And I wonder if people ever get confused with the pagan practices that others are doing up in that same place with what Solomon's doing. I would see, I, I, I can see how it'd be real easy for people to stumble. Hey, he's going up to the high places. Yeah, but he's burning incense to the Lord because he loved the Lord. No doubt there are others up there burning incense to their pagan gods. But see, such is the divided heart that we all can have at times. And the thing about those little pieces of leaven in our hearts, if we continue sowing them like Solomon does here, sowing leaven into his camp in time, it's going to be harvested as the years go by. And it always is. That's why it's so critical for you and I to allow the blood of, per of Jesus to purge that leaven out of our lives, out of our hearts. And so verse 4 is really where he needs to be. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. And I add, this is the right place. For that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. We get additional information as to what's going on here as we start it, take a look at the start of Solomon's reign. If you uh, just fast forward a little bit to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to really see what's going on here because right now all we really see is he's, he's married Pharaoh's daughter and he's going to offer some incense up here on this high, high place, but he goes to Gibeon to offer a sacrifice at the right altar. And in 2 Chronicles 1.1, Chronicles. Did I say Corinthians? Well, you know, you know what I meant. Corinthians is not a little ways ahead. Second Chronicles 1 1. They look to spell, they spell the same. Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. And Solomon spoke to all Israel. See, we don't see that. We just see him marrying this woman, burning some incense over here, and now going to Gibeon. But somewhere in this journey here, it says Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, to judges, and to every leader in all Israel, the heads of the father's houses. It seems like the entire nation is here, and he's speaking to them. It doesn't say what he spoke to them, but he loved the Lord. It has to be good, I would think. Then Solomon and all the assembly, so the entire nation of Israel with him, went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tabernacle of meeting with God was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. So it seems Solomon is having a state of the nation addressed to all the people. And then at the end of the speech, they do what all good people should do. They go to Gibeon for a massive Rudy's feast. I mean, that's what they're doing. Hey, when you offer a thousand sacrifices, that's a lot of meat. Kind of a cool little picture here, offering the sacrifices on the same altar that your forefathers have been using, because this is the same altar that was built in Moses' day. And so here he is. And maybe as this day has been going down, you know, a thousand sacrifices, they're not doing that in a couple of minutes. And maybe as this whole day has been traveling through the course of the day, Maybe Solomon's been praying as he looks at all the stuff going on, all the people going, Lord, I need some help. I, I don't have any proof of that. But I think if you were to step into his shoes and all of a sudden you're a young man, people say somewhere in his 20s, as you look at all this 
nation. You might be going, Lord, I need some help governing these people. I don't know if that's true. But I have to imagine it's running through his mind, certainly taking over for his dad. He has some massive shoes to fill because he's not the soldier. I mean, all he has is some old, mighty men. And maybe he's feeling something. Maybe he's a little overwhelmed and being tired as he, as the day winds down, he lays down to sleep and God shows up in a dream at the end of his day. Look at verse 5 back in 1 Kings 3. And Gibeon the, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask. What shall I give you? What would you ask for? I mean, we know the story, but if you didn't know the story, if you can be honest, and God said, what, what shall I give you? What would you ask for? What kind of shows what's in a person's heart? You, you can find God speaking in dreams in the Old and the New Testaments. Maybe it's the only place we slow down or quiet enough to hear from the Lord is at night when we lay down. Or many times for me, it's in the shower. You know, I'm not busy doing anything. I can hear from the Lord. But God shows up in the dream with a blank check. What do you desire, Solomon? What would you say? Christian, keep in mind in Ephesians 1, 3, where we read that God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we already have this debit card from God, so don't ask for that. But don't, don't miss this. This picture of the Lord showing up is so awesome to me. And here's why it's awesome to me. He's already married his second foreign wife. He was sacrificing burning incense in the less than perfect places to his Lord God. But we saw that God writes that he loved the Lord. The man's heart was fully open and surrendered to, get to what God wanted to do through him. I think David was the same way. David was surrendered to whatever God wanted to do through him. I think that's where Solomon is right here. Even though he's already made mistakes, I think Solomon is still in that place where he is so open and surrendered to what God wants to do in and through his life. Remember what the Lord God said about David? He's what? Yeah, he's the man after God's own heart, but what else? He's a man after God's own heart that will do all of my will. Well, in order to do all of God's will, I have to be surrendered. You know, Solomon was that man in the beginning. Perfect? No way. That man does not exist. But a man that will do all of God's will and not their own. Yeah, he, he did all of God's will. That's what made him the man after God's own heart. That's what the Lord God is looking for today, it seems. Look at the Apostle Paul at his conversion. He's on his way to Damascus. Jesus shows up. What does he say? Lord, what do you want me to do? Wow, that sounds like a surrendered life. See, I think we have to ask ourselves, is that how we live our lives? Lord, what do you want me to do today? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, we're living our life that way when we are, 
Then we're able to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I think it's critical in our lives in these last days that we live in to be men and women who will die and then allow God to do his will in our lives and not our own. Because I, I believe Solomon's answer to God's question really reveals the nature of his heart at this point in his life. Here's the answer. Look at verse 6. And, 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 you, and you're going to agree with me. Yeah, he wants to do God's will and not his own. That's the only thing he cares about. And Solomon said, so God says, what can I do for you? I'm blank. I'm asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And Solomon said, you, O Lord God, have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child. Please don't think he's a little boy. That's not what he's implying here. Go home and go to bed tonight and then wake up with the Secret Service knocking at your door telling you you are now the President of the United States. What would you ask God for? The same thing that Solomon is. He, you'd be so overwhelmed. So, so he's not a little child, but he is so overwhelmed. So what would you ask God for? That, that answer works at any age. So Solomon is simply confessing his own inadequacies to do what his dad had done, which was governing over the, over the people. So he answers the Lord, I, I don't know how to go out or come in. That's all humility for the job here. It's not, hey, I got this. I'm your man. No, none of that stuff. That's all pride. He goes, I don't know how to go in or Go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. That's how big the job is. Therefore, give to your servant, I would underline this word, an understanding heart. An understanding is not what you think it is till you look up the Hebrew word. And give to your servant, but then it kind of makes sense when you look it up. And give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who, I would underline that, who, who? Because it's the same thing that Paul asks, who's able to deliver me? Who's always the person? For who's able to judge his great people of yours? What's the right answer? God is. So this is kind of an awesome answer that he gives here. So many, so many reasons. Now all Solomon has to do is finish the same way he begins. Please notice he's not asking for an intellectual mind where his mind is sharp. He's asking for an understanding heart. That's much deeper than an intellectual mind. And when you look up the Hebrew word understanding here, you discover the word actually means to hear, to listen. It says hear, hear, listen, listen, hear, 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 listen. So Solomon, I believe, is asking for a heart that will hear and listen to the Lord. Lord, give me an understanding heart that will hear and listen to you. Well, that, I like this. See, that's going to cause me to do God's will and not my own. You want to find great favor with God? 
Have you been looking for a new approach to go to God every morning? Well, this is it. That of a child. One in humility. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your wisdom. Lord, I need to hear you, what you want me to do today. That's what he's asking for. The young man, extremely overwhelmed, is recognizing that God has been more than faithful to his father and to himself by putting him on the throne to rule uh, this great people. And he says, I don't know how to go out or come in. I hope you can hear God help me in Solomon's voice here. If you can hear God help me in Solomon's voice, let's call it sincerity. I think he's extremely sincere here. Can you see Solomon recognizing that they are God's people and he doesn't want to mess it up? Let's call that responsibility because all of us as God's people should be responsible. God just... Help me to do a good job in judging over your people. They're not my people. Let's call it under authority because all of us are under authority. At least we had better be. Can you hear I'm willing to do all that your will is in this young man's heart? Let's call it availability without ability. I'm willing to do all of your will, God. Sincerity with responsibility and being available to the Lord makes any Christian a deadly weapon in the hands of God in these last days we live in. And this is a great look for all of us here. Solomon is coming to terms with reality here, and rather than try and figure it all out by himself, and he really doesn't have anything going for him, like I said, except for these aging 400 mighty men, he cries out to God in his dream and answers God's question. And it was a good answer. Look at verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. His speech pleased the Lord in that Solomon had asked, asked this thing, and I had did not ask for other things. So let's push the pause button just for a minute and make sure we all walk away with this. Solomon is not asking for stuff. Okay, we all see that? He's asking for character and God's voice to accomplish the task that God puts before him. And in the process of asking that, for asking for what it's going to take to get God's will done, God gives him other stuff. Can we see that? I hope we can see that. I mean, this is totally seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will give you all the stuff, Matthew 6, 33. That's what he's doing here. Give me character. Give me understanding. Help me to accomplish what you want me to do, God. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you stuff. See, we have it all a little backwards today. Our world declares what you have is more important than who you are, but God's economy is the direct opposite of that. We see here that what we are is more important to the Lord than what we have. And God's economy is, Seek me first in my kingdom, my, my righteousness, and you don't even have to think about all this other stuff. Man, we are so turned sideways today. I hope we could all want to live life seeking to please the Lord this way. I mean, how easy is this now? Just seeking to be the man or the woman God wants me to be, and he's going to add all the stuff. Verse 6 through 9 is Solomon's speech. 
Brody kind of looked at how to come in order to please the Lord. Just make sure you're asking for the listening, hearing heart team. The heart that desires to do all of God's will and not your own. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to require faith in our Jesus for us to do that today. You hear? It's going to require faith to act. See, we see here in the Old Testament that the speech of seeking a listening heart pleased the Lord. And when you listen and hear, you have to, you have to act. So the New Testament equivalent of this then becomes Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Solomon's speech is pleasing God because he says, look, I just need an understanding heart. And yet we find the same in speaking about all these Old Testament saints that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. None of us can miss this here. Walk, live, and seek here, seek to hear by faith as we live this all out. And let God take care of the rest of these things. I think today in the Christian church, we all worry about all this other stuff rather than just seeking to be the person God wants us to be. And God says, look, I'll take care of this stuff. Verse 11. Then God said to him, to Solomon, because you've asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. Notice that. It's not a mind. You and I reason things within the heart. If we are reasoning things within our mind, we are going to be led astray all the time because the mind goes, oh man, I want Rocky Road ice cream right now. And then all of a sudden you're going down the thing. Oh, wow, cookie dough. No, I want that one. And then you keep going down the thing and you go, oh, oh, mint chocolate chip. The mind can vacillate so quick. But the heart, when you go, oh, man, you walk in there, I am getting Rocky Road ice cream because that's what I would get because <laughs> that's my favorite, you know. But, but notice what it says here. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart. That's where we've got a reason from. It's not the blood pupper thing. It's the deepest seat of our emotions. They have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And there hasn't been. And this is how God in picture form responds to his man. I've done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart. Man, God sure came through on his promises for Solomon, didn't he? I mean, the wisdom of Solomon is legendary. When we get into chapter 4 in this book, it says, Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. How many Proverbs have you got memorized? <laughs> I'll just answer myself. Maybe three or four. Solomon had 3,000. Verse 13, And I've also given you, Solomon, what you have not asked for. Because you sought first the, my kingdom and my righteousness, my right ways, because you wanted to do my will, I also will give you what you've not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. Ever ask for riches and honor and not the understanding heart? Pentecostals do all the time. They do. This, this right here teaches us they are asking for the wrong stuff. 
You know, we have such a practical picture of what Jesus has been saying it takes to be a disciple. It takes Solomon's approach to life when he first started. Deny yourself. I'm a little child. I don't know how to go in and, or come in or go out. Deny yourself. Lead me, guide me, Jesus. Deny yourself. Lord, I want to hear your voice. Deny yourself. Because there can only be one voice speaking in your life at a time. I mean, isn't this just like God? He always gives us more than we ask. The Lord said he delights to do good things for his children. He likes to give good things to his children. The Lord said, I know the plans towards you that are good and not of evil. It's such a great picture of the goodness of God or the grace of God to a man who loves the Lord, but he's not perfect. It's like all of us. And yet not just a little riches and a little honor, but so much so there'll never be another king like you among the kings all of your days. So don't miss it. Riches and honor come in response to Solomon humbling himself and asking God for help to govern his people. Length of days, on the other hand, is going to be conditional based upon Solomon's obedience to God's word and keeping the statutes. God says, I'm going to do this, but if you want a long life, you've got to live this way. Verse 14. So if you walk in my ways, if, we see these ifs all over in the Bible. We see it in, uh, uh, what book is that? It says, you know, I, Paul, I think Paul writes it. If you continue in, we, we see these, and here it is. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Who's speaking in verse 14? God is. Remember all the failures that David had in his life? Lots of them. But look at what God has to say about him. Nothing but good as you backtrack. There's nothing bad in here. You know, the one thing we don't ever read about in David's life was the mention of idols or serving little gods or worshiping God in any weird ways. Yeah, David had many failures, but to the best of my knowledge, he did not pursue any foreign gods ever. David had foreign wives, but I have to believe that they became believers and worshiped the God of the Jews. You know, David might have been frightened at times down around amongst the Philistines and doubted God's protection, but he never goes and seeks to worship the gods of the Philistines. We never see his women worshiping their pagan idols. And I would think they probably came with him, but in time, or maybe David said, look, I'm going to marry you, but you can't come with that stuff. We don't, I don't know. But we don't see that in his life. And yet God is saying to Solomon, walk like your father walked. Perfect? Nope, doesn't exist. But eyes fixed on me with all idolatry put out of your life. And God says, I will lengthen your days. Now, there's a great lesson here, I think, at least a spiritual lesson. God is a jealous God. Sorry, Oprah, you're wrong. God is a jealous God, and he is not interested in sharing any of us with anyone. But at the same time, he understands our weaknesses and our failures. Now, I'm not advocating we can go out and sin just for the sake of sinning, that God doesn't care about sin. No, he does care about sin in our lives. Sin is a big deal. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 calls us to holiness. He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, 
for I am holy. And that's in the present tense. And if God is calling me to be holy in the present tense, then to a large degree, as I set my heart towards him, God has to work that in my life if I let him. So sin is a big deal. Plus, as we detour just for a moment, read all of Romans chapter 7. And not just the part, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Man, I'm just like the Apostle Paul. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm doing the things I'm not supposed to be doing. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will to do, I, that I practice. Man, I'm just like the Apostle Paul. I've heard that from people in our church recently. Now, you got to read the whole chapter and come to the same conclusion that Paul did when he cried out that Solomon comes to, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who is a what? It's a person. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus will conquer over all sin in our life as we allow him to. As a matter of fact, our Jesus is on record in Hebrews 4 that he will sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He works with us in our sin. And yet the devil wants to beat us up in our sin. Again, I'm not advocating sin, but he works with us. He's the one that's going to deliver us. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Jesus will. God works with us here. But serving other gods and idols, our God is telling Solomon, no can do, dude. I'll work with your sin, but you serve other idols? We have problems. And as I look at Solomon's early life and compare it to David, there's no mention of idolatry or pride there. I mean, look at Saul. I mean, he, he built a monument to himself. But I don't see that in David and Solomon's life. You know, pride and idolatry are much slicker than just sin. They're a form of sin, but they start out as nothing. But over time, they grow and try and destroy you. Such was the case of Saul, and such will be the case of Solomon with all of his idols. So we got to guard against. See, the, and the problem is we don't call idols idols today. But we got to guard against these things from creeping into our lives, team. If they're idols, we got to guard against them. Well, how do I know if it's an idol, Pastor? Are you serving it? When the bank account starts to go below a threshold, do you freak out? It's an idol. To be honest, call it what it is. Confess it to God. You know? Are you serving it? Does it control you? Do you make decisions based upon that thing rather than Jesus? That's how it's an idol. So the promise has been given with the condition of Solomon to seek me all of your days and I will be good to you like I was to your father and you shall have a long reign, but forsake my commandments and I will indeed forsake you. So God's saying, look, you want to finish well? This is how you're going to do it. You and I, we need to finish well. We see it in 1 Corinthians 9, 4. Paul says, run in such a way to win. Don't just run to finish. We need to run in such a way as to win or receive the prize. And you and I will do that as we make it idol free. Yeah, we're going to sin. Jesus died for that. But again, I'm not making light of our sin. We need to pursue holiness. 
But make sure you don't have any idols. There's a big difference between idols and sin. Idols are sin, but sin isn't an idol. But it can become one. You understand what I'm talking about? Does it control my life? It's an idol. Verse 15, Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a, pe made a feast for all his servants. Now, this is like a very interesting verse here. Solomon goes to Gibeon, where the great high place, the tabernacle of Moses was, and he offers sacrifices and burnt incense to God. He falls asleep. God shows up in a dream. When Solomon wakes up, I think he's so overwhelmed by the dream, he goes back to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant and offers more burnt offerings and more peace offerings. And he has another giant barbecue at Rudy's. But he has it for all his servants. It's interesting. The rest of this chapter displays that understanding heart that God granted to Solomon while he is asleep as, as he is asleep in Gibeon as he was dreaming. And no doubt the Lord God who knows all things whispers to Solomon's heart the right thing to do here as we blow down to the end of this chapter, verse 16. So this is his first time of using this understanding in his heart. Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I'd given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. So the babies are three days apart, very similar in age. But do you really think they look the same? No. <laughs> Maybe unless they're twins, the, the wives are, but still they wouldn't be. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. Plus, he doesn't look like my son. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no. But the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus you have these two women in a cat fight before the king. So what are you going to do? Well, the king, I think he's looking for wisdom here as he reiterates the story. And the king said, this one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no. But your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. And as he's running that through to them, God gives them an understanding heart. Then the king said, bring me, I would underline this word, sword, because the sword always brings understanding to the heart. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other then the woman whose son was living, because she wants to save her son, spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the liar, the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other, with a vengeful heart, said, let him be neither mine nor yours. Man, that's a bitter heart right there. But divide him. So the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is 
his mother. Now, don't you, when you read this, maybe it's just me, but every time I read this, I go, well, what does the other woman get that's lying? I mean, doesn't she go to prison or something? I mean, she's trying. I mean, I don't know. I, I, maybe she's already suffered a lot enough because she lost a son, but I always think about that. She'll just go ahead. They just kind of walk away. Verse 28, and all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. That's how the people see it. You and I know the wisdom of God that they're talking about is the ability of Solomon to hear God's voice in his heart. That's why he said and acted like he did here. For us, we're promised if we'll ask in faith for wisdom from our God that we'll hear him. Just make sure when you ask for wisdom in James chapter 1, verse 5, that you hear him in your heart and not your mind. You'll know it's in your mind when you start reasoning it out. No, if you hear it in your heart, you just do it. You just get after it. A couple of things to look at here and we're done. Verse 24, bring me a sword. The ultimate counsel device discerning truth and lie is the sword. Matter of fact, the sword's the only choice we have as believers today in these last days of crazy nonsense in the church to discern truth from the lie. It's got to be the sword. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's all we got. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature, the word of God, the sword, and there's no creature hidden from his, the word of God or the sword's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So Solomon's off to a great start here. And like us all, he needs to finish the same way he started. Look at Jesus' life. You need an example? Look at Jesus' life to see what that looks like. He started in full submission to his Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. Whatever I, he says, I say. Whatever he does, that's what I do. I of myself can do nothing, Jesus says in John 5.30. So that's how he started. Well, you know what? He ended the same way. He's there in the garden praying that prayer of acceptance when he goes, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus finished the same way that he started. Well, that's the same way you and I got to finish as well. Do you have things that you need answers for? Are you looking to God for understanding and wisdom from, for issues that are surrounding your life? Well, the, the promise is here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But I trust in the Lord with all my heart, I get to hear his voice. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. But you have to acknowledge the Lord and listen today, team. You can't just ask and then go do your thing like what's happening in the church. Well, I prayed about it. Now I'm just doing my thing. No, you can't do that. You have to ask just like Solomon asked in his dream and then watch God come through. You have to ask like Jesus asked. I myself, I can do nothing. What I hear, that's what I say. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. The, the, 
the picture of how it's played out is right here. Just take Solomon's approach. Works. The problem is Solomon sets his approach down over time and picks up that of his foreign wives. Sad. It's tragic. And we all be found and finish well as we say Maranatha, as we await the Lord's return. Father, we're thankful for what you want to do in our lives. And Lord, I we ask that your word would, would work and, and, and would find good soil within each one of our hearts. 